great singing. Aren't you thankful for God's faithfulness? I was reading this morning uh, in the book of Psalms, Psalm 48. Uh, the Bible says, speaks of his loving kindness. It says, uh, we have thought of thy loving kindness, O God, in the midst of thy temple. And aren't you thankful for his faithfulness, his loving kindness, his goodness to us? And that's kind of the theme of the message this morning. If you turn to Genesis chapter 16, Genesis 16, we're going to see a, a person in the Bible that we don't know a whole lot about. She's someone that caused some trouble uh, in Israel's history. It wasn't entirely her fault. Really, it was Abraham and Sarah's fault uh, for this trouble. Uh, but what we're going to see, what, what, what I want you to see as we read through Genesis 16, we're going to read the first six verses to begin, and then we're going to primarily look at verses 16 down to, the, I'm sorry, verse 6 down to the end of the chapter. Uh, but we're going to see this uh, handmaid named Hagar. And what I want you to see this morning, I want you to see yourself in Hagar's story and, and how God's loving kindness, how God's goodness, how God's faithfulness reached out to her. So starting verse number one, we're going to read the first six verses, then we'll pray and we'll jump into the message. It says, now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children, and she had an handmaid, an Egyptian whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abram, behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid, and it may, it may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. And Sarai said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid into thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes, and the Lord judged between me and thee. And Abram said unto Sarai, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand, do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarai dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your loving kindness to us. Lord, I pray in the moments that we have, in the, in, Lord, the short time that we have left this morning, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts. I pray that each of us would have an open, a ho open heart to your word. And I pray that we just make a decision right now, whatever however you speak to us through your spirit, that we're just going to simply obey. We're going to simply follow. And Lord, I pray that your loving kindness would find us this morning, and we would be, Lord, ever more thankful for your faithfulness to us. Uh, for it's your name we pray. Amen. So Hagar, we don't know much about her. Very little is given of her uh, history, her background, other than what we see here in verse 1. It says, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had an, uh, bare no children. She had an handmaiden, and Egyptian whose name was Hagar. And if you remember uh, the story of Abraham and Sarah, uh, they were in the Ur of Chaldees, and God called them and said to, uh, said to Abraham, I want you to leave your father, I want you to leave your family, I want you to leave your homeland, and I want you to go somewhere else. And Abraham says, where do you want me to go? And he says, I'll let you know when you get there. That's basically what happened. Uh, and and he, did, he packs up, says goodbye to his family, and he follows, not knowing where he was going, but God was leading him all the way. And then early on in his story, in Genesis chapter 12, we find there was a famine in the land. And Abraham, in a moment of doubt, uh, one thing is, as you read through the book of Genesis, as you read through Abraham's story, it's encouraging to see, sometimes we get this picture of Abraham, and he's this man of faith. But he was also a man of many failures. 
And uh, how is that encouraging? Well, I'm a man of many failures, and God can still use me because he used Abraham. And, and though he was a man of many failures, how does the Bible describe him? As a man of faith and as the friend of God. Uh, because that was primarily how his focus in life was. But in this moment of failure, in the early part of uh, Genesis 12, we find him going to Egypt. And he sojourns there for a little while. And he's fearful. His wife is, his word, he said she's very fair to look upon. And he was afraid that people were going to kill him in order to take his wife. And he tells her, we're going to pretend you're my sister. And uh, perhaps you know the story, kind of a strange turn of events there. Uh, But anyway, in in that time there, in verse number 16 of Genesis 12, we find the Pharaoh. It says, he entreated Abram well for her sake. And he had sheep and oxen and he asses and men servants and maid servants and she asses and camels. Uh, So in this time in Egypt, Pharaoh bestowed upon Abram many gifts. And one of the things that he bestowed upon him was these servants, made servants. Uh, So keep that in mind for a moment. As we consider Hagar, who who she is, she comes from Egypt. Uh, She's a stranger. She's a foreigner. Her name means stranger. Uh, She was an Egyptian maidservant that was given to Abram and given to Sarah in their time of sojourning in Egypt. And when they get back on track, they leave Egypt, and along with them comes this stranger, comes this foreigner. And that's where I want us to see us today in, in, in Hagar's story. There was a time in each of our lives, if we are children of God, that we were strangers, that we were foreigners, uh, that we were in the world, that we were in Egypt, as uh, Egypt so often is a a picture of the world. Uh, Consider the words of Paul in Ephesians chapter 2. In verse 2, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past and lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That is everyone. That was you before you came to Christ. That was me before I came to Christ. But then in verse, two, uh, verse 4, I, I love this phrase in God's word, but God. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together in Christ, for by grace are ye saved, and hath raised us together up, uh, raised us up together to make us sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And that's each of us who know Christ as Savior. He's raised us up to sit with him. He has quickened us who were dead. Uh, In verse 12, that at at, at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens, from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And in verse 19, now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. So Hagar, at one point she was a stranger. She was a foreigner. And in that time of sojourning, Abram brings Hagar out and she's no longer a stranger. She's no longer a foreigner. She is part of this household of faith. Just like we were strangers and foreigners and Jesus sojourned here on earth, he dwelt among us. And in that time, he, is, he, he died, he was buried, he rose again, and as a result, he has brought us into his family. He has brought us into the family of God, into the household of faith. And so it's so important, uh, I know a, a lot of background there, a, a, a little bit more background, and we'll get into the, the, the main part of the message. Uh, but many years before this story takes place, God had promised Abraham something very specific, and I'm sure you know the promise. He said, I will make a great nation of thee. 
and I will make thy seed as the stars, the sky, as the sand of the sea. He promised him a child. And as we saw here in the passage, they'd been here in Canaan now for 10 years. They'd been waiting. That's a long time to wait for a promise. Uh, imagine if you told your children that, said, I'm going to get you something at the grocery store. I'm, I'm going to get you ice cream. And one of these, I'm going to get you, and, and the 10 years, they're still waiting. They're, we're graduating high school. That's kind of what, obviously, something bigger than that even. Um, but, but we understand that idea of waiting, and we can get very impatient. And uh, we understand God's time is not always our time. But God, God is always on time. Uh, and they get very impatient. And Sarah comes to Abram and says, God hasn't given me a child. And perhaps he promised you a child, but not me a child. And so here's Hagar, this Egyptian handmaid. Have her as your wife. And we, we, we know that that was a bad idea. And we understand that any time we act in doubt and fear, the result is always regrettable. And it's something that would impact the nation of Israel for years to come and continues to impact the nation of Israel today. Uh, but we have that same way in, in our impatience and sometimes indifference. It leads us to make impulsive and even irrational decisions. We sometimes ask the question, if we take God out of the equation, what would we do? And that's exactly what they did. And then as Hagar is with child, it says she sees that she conceived. Uh, it says that she despised Sarah. And so two things we find here that hinges on uh, verse 6 where Hagar flees. We find the misbehavior of Hagar. She, in her pride, despises her, her, her mistress, despises Sarah. She's someone that she should be looking to in love and respect, but instead, because of pride in her heart, she misbehaves towards her. And then in verse 6, we find the mistreatment of Hagar. We find that Sarai dealt hardly with her. Uh, Sarah in her pride, perhaps fueled by hatred or jealousy, revenge, uh, wh whatever the case may be, uh, it, this was someone she should have been looking after in love as one of her handmaids. But in her pride, she mistreated her. The Bible says in Proverbs 13, 10, only by pride cometh contention. Have you ever experienced any contention in your relationships? That's a, that's a rhetorical question, isn't it? We all have. Uh, perhaps you did on the way to church this morning. You were yelling in the car, and then you came in and said, hey, everyone, praise the Lord. Um, I, I've experienced that, and we, we, we all have. We, ha we have contentions. Uh, we have contentions at the workplace, have contentions at school, have contentions at church, have contentions at home. Uh, and the truth is, as human beings, we are either going to be on the giving or the receiving end of both mistreatment and misbehavior many times over. And blessings continue when we decide to reconcile and restore contentious relationships rather than run. Isn't running the easy thing to do? Running, running away from our problems, but how many of us understand when we run away from our problems, often it compounds the problems that we have? When we could just make the difficult conversation of restoring a relationship rather than running from it. And that's exactly what happens in Hagar's life. She runs. And so this morning, in the time we have left, I want to show you from the remaining portion of Genesis 16 how God graciously deals with us even when we run from the place of blessing. I don't know where she was going. She may not have even known where she was going. But we can assume likely she was heading back to Egypt. But when we run from the place that God has put us, we're running from the place of blessing. We're running from the place of protection. We're running from the place of provision. And so I want you to see a few things this morning. I want you to see yourself in Hagar, 
But even more importantly that, I want you to see God in the story. I want you to see God's kindness, God's goodness to us. And so she flees. We find in verse 6, she fled from her face. Uh, She just packed her bags, probably didn't even pack her bags. She just said, I'm out of here. I'm not dealing with this anymore. And in verse 7, it says this, And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to shore. Uh, So the first thing I see in this passage is this. We find a corralling. God's love can always find us. God's love can always find us. Have you ever played hide-and-go-seek with one of your kids before, especially when they were really young as, as a toddler? They are incredible, aren't they? Um, either we say, hey, let's go play hide-and-seek, and that's one of our ways of, I'm going to have about five minutes of peace and quiet. I'm going to count, and I have no intention to come and look for you. <laughs> Anybody ever done that trick? Um, but when we play a serious game of hide-and-go-seek with a toddler especially, they do usually one of two things. Uh, have you ever had one of your kids, they you say, all right, I'm going to count to 10, and you go hide, and what do they do? They hide right in front of you, and they cover their face. And, and they think oh, that's a good spot. And you, of course, spot them right away. Or they get help from your spouse, um, and they get them into the perfect hiding spot. You'd never find them. But what do they have a hard time doing? Keeping, Keeping quiet, right? They'll say, you can't find me. You can't find me. And all you got to do is just follow the voice, and eventually you found them. That's how we sometimes hide from God. That's how Adam and Eve hid from God in Genesis 3. That's how Hagar is hiding from God here. We feel like we can hide from God, and it's just as if we just covered our face and said, God, you'll never find me. He knows exactly where we are. He knows right where you are today. Uh, And you say, well, of course, I'm not hiding from God. I'm here in church. How many of us have ever been hiding from God while sitting in a church pew? I've been there. Uh, the, the, the truth is God knows where you are physically, but God knows where you are spiritually today. God knows where you are emotionally. We cannot hide from God. Consider the words of David in Psalm 139. He says, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down. Thou art acquainted with all my ways. There is not a word in my tongue. But lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset them behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain unto it. Listen to this verse. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. We cannot hide from God. Consider Jonah. In, in, in Jonah chapter 1, verse 3, uh, we, we, we see that God had told Jonah, God told Jonah, go to Nineveh and, and cry aloud to that great city. And Jonah decides, nope, I'm not doing that. And he rises up and flees to Tarshish. Then in verse 3, it says this, he, he, he got them into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. In Jonah's mind, he said, I'm going so far away, not even God can find me. And he fell asleep in the bottom of that ship. And what happened? The Lord sent out a great wind into the sea. God knew right where he was. And what was God doing by sending that? Uh, sometimes we look at the, the, the whale and the waves and everything that took place in Jonah's life. That's God punishing him. It was actually God's grace and God's mercy in his life to bring him back to the place of his responsibility, which is the place of blessing, which is what God is doing here with Hagar, the angel of the Lord. And as we read through the passage, we'll understand that this angel of the Lord is not some angel like Gabriel or Michael. This is a a uh, pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. 
in, in how she refers to him. This is God uh, finding her. There's a corralling. God's love can always find us. Aren't you thankful that no matter how far you run, no matter how far, you, uh, how far away you are from God, aren't you thankful that God's love can always find you this morning? But secondly, verse 8, we find this. There's a convicting. God's mercy can always forgive us. It says, and he said, this is the angel of the Lord, this is Jesus speaking to him, uh, to, to her, it says, Hagar, Sarah's uh, maid, whence camest thou, and whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarai. When the Lord finds us in his love, it will be uh, coupled with some sort of conviction. Uh, the reason the Lord sends conviction is for this, it's for forgiveness and restoration. Aren't you thankful that the Lord does not convict us to mock us, to belittle us, to humiliate us? If you feel mocked, belittled, and humiliated over your sin, and you say, well, the Holy Spirit's really convicting me. No, that's condemnation. That's from the devil. Uh, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ. Even to the lost, the conviction of God is not to humiliate and not to put us down. It's to bring us to forgiveness and redemption. But as believers, God's conviction is to bring us to forgiveness and restoration of that relationship uh, w- w- with him. He forgives and redeems the sinner. He forgives and restores the saint. Uh, the angel of the Lord asked, really asked Hagar two questions. He says this, whence camest thou? It's as if he's saying this, what are you doing here? Have you ever heard the Holy Spirit ask you something like that? What are you doing here? Why are you here? Why aren't you there? And um, she should have been in the place where she was serving. It was her job. It was her responsibility. We understand she had been mis- mistreated, but we also understand that there's two sides to that story. Anyone ever have their children come to you and say, so-and-so is being mean to me? And then you go up to get the whole story, and you find out that they were being mean to them, and they were being mean in return, right? Uh, and, and were either of them right? No. And oftentimes we'll find that in situations in our life. We'll, we'll, we'll say, so-and-so at work is just this, or, so and, or, or at home this, and we talk about all the issues that people have towards us. And if we'll stop and consider, how have I treated them? That's, that, 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 that is not to excuse away abuse. That is not to excuse away uh, I- I- extreme forms of mistreatment and misbehavior. But some of the things that we often complain about and some of the things that often cause us to run from relationships, if we look at ourselves in the mirror and, and recognize it's not the other person that, that needs to be fixed, I need to focus on fixing myself. And I need to focus on restoring that relationship where I can. And that's what happened here with Hagar. She ran. Why was she there? Because she and her pride wronged Sarah And Sarah, in turn, in her pride, wronged her. Instead of dealing with it, she ran. And then he asked this question, where will you go? He says, whence camest thou, and whither wilt thou go? I understand this. When God asks a question, he doesn't ask because he doesn't know the answer, right? Uh, he He does not ask questions for his own enlightenment. He often asks those questions for our own enlightenment, for our own honesty, uh, because sometimes if we're not asked the right questions, we, we don't give the right answers. And he asks this question, where are you going to go? Consider where you were with Abraham, this household of faith. And here's the friend of God and a man of faith. And are you going to go back to Egypt? Are you going to go back to the way things were? And the Holy Spirit speaks to us and said, what are you doing here? Why are you in this place spiritually? Why are you in this place physically, uh, uh, perhaps? And where are you going to go? Are you going to go back to the way things were before you were saved? Are you going to go back to the way of, of, of the world? Uh, p- perhaps you today need to answer those questions. 
Perhaps you find yourselves on the run, adrift, abandoning uh, where God has put you. You need to answer that question, what are you doing here and where will you go from here? So there's a corralling, God's love can always find us. There's a convicting, God's mercy can always uh, forgive us. But look at verse 9, there's a commanding. And, And here's the truth with that, God's commands can always be followed. God's commands can always be followed. The angel of the Lord said unto her, return to thy mistress and submit thyself under her hands. Was that a simple command? Yes, it was. Was it an easy command? I don't think so. I find that many of the commands in God's word, sometimes we overcomplicate things. We think that following God is just this complicated life. and No, it's very simple. But doesn't, simplicity doesn't mean easy. Simple means there's not a lot of complexity to it. Easy means it's, it's not difficult to understand, but it's difficult to actually do. This would have caused some diff, a difficult conversation. Uh, this would have caused some humbling. Humbling is a simple thing, but I can, I, I, I can tell you it's not an easy thing to humble yourself. It's foolish to look at God's word and God's commands and say, I can do it. On the flip side, it's also foolish to look at God's word and say, no, I can't do that. What makes the difference? You say, you're saying it's foolish to say I can't and say I can. The difference is God's grace in our lives. God's grace is what enables us to follow God's commands. For this is the love of God, 1 John chapter 5, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. God's commands are never grievous. They're always for our good. I heard someone say this once. When God says thou shalt not, he's simply saying this, don't hurt yourself. When God says thou shalt, he's simply saying help yourself to happiness. God's way is the best way. And his commands are not grievous. His commands require grace. His commands require faith. Doesn't it take grace to forgive when someone's wronged us? Doesn't it take grace to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Christ? Doesn't it take grace to give sacrificially? Doesn't it take grace to share the gospel with that unsaved coworker or loved one? It takes grace to live holy in an unholy society and culture. These are all things that God has told us in his word very simply but they're not easy. But by the grace of God, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. So there's a, there's a corralling. God's love can always find us. There's a convicting in verse 8. God's mercy can always forgive us. There's a commanding in verse 9. God's commands can always be followed. And uh, verses 10 through 12, there's a crowning. God's kindness fills us. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it shall not be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shalt bear a son, and shalt call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. And he will be a wild man. His hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. As we read through this story, God could have very easily just let Hagar go her way, and she could have exited the story of Uh, God's redemptive plan and never been heard of from again. But for whatever reason, God decided she's part of the story. 
and I'm going to corral her back in. I'm going to convict her. I'm going to command her, and I'm going to crown her. I'm going to show my kindness uh, to this handmaid, to this lowly person. This is, she wasn't a person of power. She wasn't a person of prestige. But God said, I'm going to bless you. You're going to have this child, and I will multiply his seed exceedingly. Aren't you thankful for God's kindness and blessing in your life? God could have let you just go your way, and he could have let you die and go to hell, but he decided to bestow his wealth upon you, his kindness, his mercy, his grace in your life. Ephesians chapter 3 says this, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened by, uh, with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to lo- know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. And I love this verse, verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. God in his goodness has bestowed his great love, his great riches upon us, and he says he's able to do in our lives exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. For some reason, I'll explain, but this, this, that verse reminds me of Star Wars. So how does that remind you of Star Wars? Um, in in uh, episode four, they're on the Death Star, and um, they find, Luke discovers that Princess Leia is there in the detention cell. She's ready to be, to be executed. And he decides, we're going to rescue her. Han Solo is opposed to this and has no desire. And here's how he convinces Han Solo to help rescue Princess Leia. You didn't know you were going to get some Star Wars dialogue here in church this morning, did you? Uh, but, but, but hang with me for just a second. He's thinking, and he really wants to rescue her. She's the one from the message from R2-D2, and he says, he says this. He, she's rich. And uh, he looks at him and says, rich? He says, yeah, she's rich, powerful. Listen, if you were to rescue her, the reward would be, and he interrupts her and says, what? And he says, well, more wealth than you can imagine. And here's where it reminds me of this verse. He says this, I don't know. I can imagine quite a bit. And I feel that way with this verse. God says to us, I can do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think. And in my heart, I say, I don't know, God. I can imagine quite a bit. How many of us can imagine what God can do in our life? How many of us can imagine how blessed our life can be as we follow God? And God looks down at us and says, I'm just getting started there. I can do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think or imagine. And last this morning... We find this corralling. God's love can always find us. This convicting. God's mercy can always forgive us. This commanding. God's commands can always be followed. This crowning. God's kindness fills us. And last this morning is this, a confounding. In verses 13 through 16, a proper view of God will fascinate us. The culmination of God's corralling, convicting, commanding, and crowning led Hagar to a point where she was able to get a, a, a true view of who God is. Look at verse 13. Um, And she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God seest me. For she said, Have I also here looked after him that seeth me? Wherefore the name of the, uh, the, wherefore the well was called uh, Bir Lechorai. 
Behold, it is in Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bare Abram a son, and Abram called his son's name, which Hagar bare Ishmael. And so we find this, this confounding. When Hagar ran, she must have thought that her circumstances needed transformation. But the reality is, it was her heart that needed transformation. The times that we run, we feel, if only my circumstances would change, everything would be different. When God reveals to us, no, if you would just change, if you allow me to change you, everything could be different. Donald Barnhouse said this, if we seek to change our circumstances, we'll jump from the frying pan into the fire. We must be triumphant right exactly where we are. It's not a change of climate we need, but a change of heart. The flesh wants to run away, but God wants to demonstrate his power exactly where we have known our greatest chagrin. We feel if we could only change our situation, God could change my life. And God says, no, I want to show myself real to you. I want to show you who I really am. And in your deepest, darkest moments, in your times of difficulty, I'm going to reveal my true power to you. If you've been around us, and I know we've only been here for about eight months, but you've probably discovered, as I just mentioned, Star Wars, but I also, I'm a very big fan of the Disney parks. And uh, in 2018, my wife and I went to uh, Mickey's very merry, mag- uh, very merry Christmas party uh, after a, a cruise and at the, at the end of the night, they have the, uh, the, the fireworks. If you've ever been to Disney, that's one of the highlights. And if you don't like the fireworks, I don't know what you could possibly like. Um, it's just such, such joy and magic there. But, but, but anyways, we're watching the fireworks. I've seen fireworks many times at Disney, and this is a, a special holiday called Holiday Wishes. And at the finale, I remember as we were sta- I was standing there with my wife, we were watching it, and it was exciting, and it was, it, it, the fireworks were fantastic as they, they always are. But then at the finale there was this almost a 180-degree fireworks all around us. And I remember us standing there, and I remember looking at each other, and our mouths just kind of dropped, like, wow, that was incredible. And I later found videos of it and showed it to people, but how many of you, if you've ever gone to Disney and you took the video and then you showed it to somebody, like, it looks better in real life. <laughs> it, the, the video doesn't do it justice. And, and there's times where God confounds us and uh, God fascinates us and we try to explain it to somebody. We, we, we try to tell them what it's like and it's just, it, it eventually becomes one of those things where, where, where we say, you just have to experience it yourself. You just have to see God and his power uh, for yourself. And that's what I think of this confounding moment. We get a glimpse in his word of how he works in our lives, and it causes our jaws to drop in wonder of God's goodness. She knew who God was, but in this moment, she was able to get a clearer picture of who he is. Uh, She basically says, God, you see me, and I've seen you for who you really are. And when you truly see God for who he really is, you'll never be the same. In Isaiah chapter 6, we find Isaiah uh, standing uh, and seeing God high and lifted up. And he says this. uh, He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. His life was changed. He said, for mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Psalm 8 says this. When I consider thy heavens and the works of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him. We need some moments like this where we come to this well, Birlechurai, and we say, the well of the living one that sees me. Aren't you thankful that God sees you? It's a scary thought because we see ourselves and we know who we are, and God sees you, 
and yet his love corrals us in. And he convicts us, he commands us, he crowns us, and as we see God for who he really is, he fascinates us, he confounds us. This morning with heads bowed and eyes closed, we'll stand together, give you an opportunity to talk to God about what he talked to you about.